Welcome back to the Sports Beat KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KU Beat reporter for the Kansas City Star. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Nick Schwert of Rock Chalk Sports Talk and 1320 KLWN here in Lawrence. We talk about the Kansas Jayhawks, the two-game winning streak they're on, also the elephant in the room when it comes to this year's KU basketball team. And at the end, K-State, what are their chances of winning an outright Big 12 title this year and completing this after winning nine games in a row in the conference? Without further ado, let's get to our chat with Nick Schwert of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Happy to have Nick back on the podcast. Nick, how you doing today? I'm good. What's going on, Jesse? Not too much going on. Um, I first want to start off with this with Kansas basketball, and we've talked about this a little bit on your radio talk show, uh, Rock Chalk Sports Talk, Nick. You usually are the one that is optimistic about KU basketball. You're the one saying, hey, they're going to win. They're going to keep the streak going. They're going to keep winning, all these sorts of things. This year's sort of been the exception. You've kind of been on the other side of it, like this team doesn't have an identity. Uh, this is the team that's going to end the streak, all those sorts of things. I want to know, after the last game at TCU where KU pulls off the victory uh, and after this last week for them, are you changing your tune? Where where does where are you at on the Knicks scale when it comes to KU basketball and how you think this Jayhawk <laughs> team is going to finish up this year? I guess we must first define the Knicks scale. Okay, so I would say <laughs> most years, I don't know, I don't know what one to ten actually means here. Most years, my panic level on the Knicks scale would be at a a two or three. Yep. This year, it's been at like an eight or a nine. Yeah, I, I would right agree now, with that. Yeah. Today, I'd say today, after these last two games, I'd put myself at about a five. Okay. So I'm not back to the point where I think, come on, it's obvious KU's going to win. But I do think that the door has been left open just a little bit. Now, if K-State keeps taking care of business, then it's going to become increasingly difficult. That was, I mean, they they had eight games remaining on their schedule, and uh, the one against Texas I thought was probably in, in the – in the half that you would think they could lose. They didn't lose that game, and so now you look at the back half of that schedule, they're going to have to lose one um, against one of the bottom three or four teams in the Big 12. So the door is still open, but it feels like something has changed with Kansas over the past couple of games. I guess we'll have to wait and see if it continues, which it should on Saturday against West Virginia. Yeah, and I want to get to the elephant in the room here in a minute, Nick, but I think this is an important talking point. So what has changed for KU or what has changed with your mind with KU? What do you think is different with the Jayhawks here in the, the last week or two weeks or whatever time period that was that makes you more optimistic at least about their big 12 chances and then maybe their chances to at least make a little bit of noise in the NCAA tournament? Well, I think it's a, it's a confluence of things, right? It's not just one thing, but if we're to look at, I think, the the biggest factors at play here, I think the first one is something that you have been um, advocating for all year, which is if you notice the last four games with Marcus Garrett out of the lineup, this team has shot a lot more threes. Bum, They're averaging bum, over bum, 20. Bum. That's, me beating, <laughs> that's me beating the drum in the background. So go ahead, Dick. 27. 27 a game, Jesse. That's more than they averaged all of last year. Isn't that incredible? That's a really big number, and they have gone to more of that style and – as you mentioned, I think a lot of little factors go into that as well. You can talk about Marcus Garrett not being there. You can talk about Devontae Graham's magical speech in the pregame where he told those guys, shoot the freaking basketball, which is something that they needed to hear. You also could talk about the shift in philosophy, which Bill Self has gone to more of a five-out offensive style. A lot of NBA teams do that, but when that happens and you have five guys on the perimeter, 
you're going to shoot more three-pointers. So I, I think a lot of those things have kind of come together when you've yeah. seen this uh, evolution of KU's offense. So that's number one, right? Just knowing that that's your only way out and you, you've got your back up against a wall. What are we going to do? Well, might as well shoot a bunch of threes if they go in. Then, hey, I'm going to look like a genius if you're Bill Self. So that's part number one. But part two, and I think this is bigger, and I think this is what you were kind of alluding to, you go back to the win on Saturday over Oklahoma State when Bill Self is talking about chemistry and it being you know, having one of the best chemistry games of the season against the Cowboys. Then you go after the game on Monday against TCU, and he is referencing it being the best locker room they've had all year long. The elephant in the room is that this team it feels like they're playing with a sense of freedom or renewed energy without the looming presence of LeGerald Vick. Now, I don't know exactly uh, what impact Vick was having, what negative impact Vick was having on the team. To me, through two, get quite clear that this team is better off without him. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I wanted to speak to because I know a lot of fans have asked me, I've been on radio shows that have asked me, okay, well, uh, this seems like a short-term thing. Could LeGerald Vick be back for the Texas Tech game? And that's what the release said, and Bill Self even said last week that they expected LeGerald Vick to be back. But I'm here to tell you that um, it, it's difficult to talk about this, again, without sounding insensitive and without sounding like we're you know sort of stomping on if there are personal problems that led to LeGerald Vick not being with the basketball team right now. But with everything that Bill Self has said in this last week, he spoke about it last night as well on his Hawk Talk show saying – um, the guys were excited for each other even when they were down. They had a good energy, and Ochai stepping into a leadership role, and Devon Dotson is doing the same, and also kind of spoke generically about how there are different types of leaders, and some people can be bad leaders if you are energy suckers, I think is what he called it. If you suck the energy out of a room, yeah. that can be a bad leader. I mean, it's all referencing back to the fact that this team is getting along better without LeGerald Vick, and so if I'm speaking openly and honestly about this situation, it seems like LeGerald Vick was off the team, basically, to give KU a, a trial run at how this was going to look, how this was going to work out, and Bill Self seems very, very happy with how this has worked out, so if you're asking me honestly, on this podcast, on the Sports BKC podcast, I don't think LeGerald Vick is coming back, guys. I mean, I think this is something that happened because Bill Self wanted to see how his roster, how his players reacted to not having that type of energy or that type of person, whatever you want to say, on the team, and so far the results have been very positive, and he likes the results that have come after that. So uh, I don't think LeGerald Vick is coming back, and I know that's a difficult thing to talk about or say with kind of the mixed messages that are being sent through press releases and the media, but uh, I, I, th from where I stand, this team moving forward is a team moving forward about LeGerald Vick, and you should expect uh, him not to return to this team just based off of how they've responded here in the last week. I would agree with that. My only my only question would be that Bill Self said on last Friday, the day after it was announced that Vic was taking this, what did he refer to it as, a leave of absence, that he felt like there was a great chance of him coming back, even though they were going to prepare as if they weren't going to get him back. You and I have discussed this, that Bill Self chooses his words very wisely. And my only drawback would be why would he frame it like that if he knew at the time that there was no chance unless as maybe you just kind of answered this though I, unless he was saying at the time that hey we're going to test this out which is why i'm going to at least publicly leave the door open yeah it could be and if ku went on a losing streak without him and uh you know suffered some things maybe there'd be a way to get back the other thing we have to talk about is sort of the timeline with this 
there's not that many games left. You know, we're looking up here. It's it's February 13th as we're talking. I mean, if you fast forward a month to March 13th, uh, you're talking NCAA tournament now. And we're, we're talking about a guy with LeGerald Vick who is now missing practices. He hasn't been around his teammates. He hasn't learned any new plays that they've done. He hasn't worked on any defensive things. I mean, he is away from the team. And so you can't just say, oh, he's back in practice on a Monday. We're talking about chemistry. We're talking about those sorts of things on a team. You're telling me a guy, if he leaves KU for two weeks, comes back for a practice on a Monday or Tuesday, you can insert him on a Wednesday? Especially after you're talking about how all these guys have kind of come together without him being there, and that's going to be a fair sort of assessment on Bill Self's part? I, I just don't see that happening. And so that's sort of also looming in the background of this uh, weird thing. Because you can have a guy, okay, we're suspending him, but he's he's with the team, and he's practicing, and he's going to remain with the team. Like, that's one thing to do. LeGerald Dick is not with the team right now. I mean, he's not in there doing the things that his teammates are doing and practicing the things that his teammates are practicing. So I think that's just another complicated factor with this, that uh, this is not, to me, a, a short-term thing. I mean, you, you make this move him going back home and KU allowing him to go back home with the thought that, as Bill Self mentioned here, uh, kind of in passing a couple weeks ago, that if, if this happens, you're not really expecting him back the rest of the season. And like I said, who knows the exact story? Maybe there are some personal things that are happening in Memphis. Uh, it's very difficult to tell, but this seems to me like Bill Self very much saying openly in the media that this team is different without LeGerald Vick, and that has been a positive, and sort of speaking directly to that saying, this team is excited for each other, they're having different leaders emerge, they have a better energy, and all that can kind of be pointed back to one event that happened a week ago, which is LeGerald Vick no longer being with the team. Well, let's let's dive into specifics then. I mean, what do you think it is about what you've seen in these two games without Vick that has been better? Because to me, I feel like guys maybe are playing with a new sense of freedom. I wonder if maybe Harold's just not the easiest guy because he is a senior and I think guys naturally will look to him for leadership and for guidance and they will defer to him. And I wonder if Bill Self just reached a point where he said, I don't want people deferring to Gerald, right? I don't want people uh, looking to him for leadership and for guidance on the court and maybe we'll be better off if I hand those reins over to these freshmen, which maybe at the beginning of the season or even going back to the off season when Self basically allowed Vic to return to the team, he thought would be a good thing, right? Do you think like just across the course of the season, Bill Self just realized that, you know what, I was wrong. Um, these aren't necessarily the characteristics that this kid's going to bring to the team. Yeah, I think you can go back a long ways. You know, I, I wrote about this a lot. Um, Arizona State game. Bill Self calls a play in the huddle. LeGerald Vick goes the wrong way. They end up losing that game. There was another later game where he called the same play, and LeGerald Wick again, Vick again went the wrong direction, late game situation. You saw the West Virginia game at West Virginia where LeGerald Vick put up a couple of shots on his own, didn't make a smart basketball play. And then, to me, the breaking point was Kansas State, which, again, I wrote about, which was that... In the first couple minutes, he screwed up a screen they had, or some defense they had worked on, and then he tried to publicly blame Devon Dotson for his messing up. And that seems to me sort of the breaking point. It kind of reminds me, and, and I've kind of thought about this a lot lately. Uh, Jordan Spurber, I've had him on the podcast, uh, a great follow online. I know you talked about him on your radio show too, yeah. Nick. Uh, Hoop Vision 68, for those who want to follow him, he has... Uh, his podcast, Solving Basketball, which is great. He talked to Gibson Piper, who's another guy I've talked to pretty often. He runs Half Court Hoops, a great X's and O's follow. But they were talking this last game, uh, or, or, I'm sorry, this last week in their podcast about the Duke and Virginia game. And um, Gibson is actually a high school coach. And he brought up a point. It's something, 
It's something I hadn't heard before, but it makes a lot of sense, and I think it's probably in a lot of those leadership books out there. He talked about one of the most important things he's learned as a coach when he's trying to get to youth athletes. He said, it's not about what you preach, it's about what you tolerate. And, I mean, in that moment, it just kind of crystallized to me maybe what exactly went through Bill Self's head in this whole situation because all this time he could say, hey, these other guys need to be, fo- need to be leaders or you can lead for yourself or that, uh, you know, this is what I want. This is what I demand from defense. This is what I want you to do. But if you tolerate another person kind of going off on their own and doing what they want to do and, and doing things that are outside the team concept, then it's undermining what, undermining what you're preaching. And so, to me, this might be kind of that line in the sand moment for Bill Self. At K-State, whether the freshmen should look up to LeGerald Dick or not, I think they do. Because he won three times at K-State. He's won at Bramlage Coliseum. A bunch of those other guys, who else had even played at Bramlage? I mean, Mitch Lightfoot had, but other than that, Devon Dotson hadn't, K.J. Lawson hadn't, Diedrich Lawson hadn't. I mean, you can go down the line. So, in that moment, when he is basically showing that bad leadership we were talking about... Uh, Bill Self might have gotten to a point where he said, I cannot keep this sort of personality on my team because I'm tolerating the things that, I, that, I'm, that is undermining my ability to lead this team or this team's ability to lead itself. And so to me, that might have just been the end point for it. When, when he saw that happen again, and it's sort of like not worth the trouble. You know what I mean? It's not worth the shooting ability. It's not worth what he can provide you on the court because it's harming the rest of the group and it's harming Self's ability to lead this particular team. So I don't know where this team is going moving forward. I don't know if this is the turning point. I don't know. They could still drop games down the stretch, but it seems like Bill Self is having more fun with this team and enjoying this team a lot more. And from the comments and what people are saying and the locker room video, it sure seems like this team is enjoying each other more as a process, and uh, we'll see where that takes them the rest of this year. Like I said, it might not be all victories, but it might be a better path to them reaching their ceiling than what they had when they had, you know, when they had different guys on the roster a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and I think you talk about Bill Self having fun. I think it's just we we talk about trust all the time with Self and how so many guys in the past, and it's usually younger guys who haven't been able to earn it. I think it's important to go back to the offseason. Like, we have to remember that and, – and you talk about the, the reasonings that was given for Jarevic leaving last week. Let's go back to the offseason, right? It, it was a mutual parting of ways, but in order for it to be a mutual parting of ways, it, it means that KU was happy to have Jarevic move on with his basketball career and his life. And at some point, Bill Self second-guessed himself. And he said, well, you know what? We, we've got this scholarship open, and we've got a really young team, and we don't really have anybody who's you know, played extended minutes proven in an shooter. expansive role for me. Yeah, proven shooter. We don't know who exactly is going to be the shooters on this team. Maybe, just maybe, as a senior role, as a leadership, this guy will embrace it and turn the corner. And I, and I hate to phrase it like this, but it's to me, it is exactly the way I think Bill Self viewed it. He thought, uh, he saw it as a re- rehabilitation project. Like he will embrace this newfound role, and it will bring a new energy to himself, and it will be good for him, and it will be good for the team. It was basically an experiment that went awry, and I, I think at some point Bill Self just decided to cut his losses, and I think that's what has happened now. And now he he looks at his team and th- and says, you know what? Like against TCU on Monday, and went nine of thirty from three point range. And that may not seem like it's out of the norm for this team, which hasn't been a strong shooting team. I said this yesterday on the show. 
that was the worst shooting game they've had in the last month. In the last month, the last 10 games, shooting 30% was the worst shooting performance they've had. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure you can draw correlations between that and being without your best shooter. And maybe more instances and more games like that will pop up the rest of the regular season, and who knows? That may be what inevitably does them in in the tournament if they can't hit shots. But at the end of the day, you go back to it's not about what you, it's what you tolerate. Bill Self says, you know what? I, I can live with having bad shooting nights. He's said that how many times before, right? Mm-hmm. I can live with that. What I can't live with is guys not buying into what we're doing. And he finally reached a breaking point, and I think that's the decision he came to last week. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out, too, that when we've kind of heard um, talks about this, whether it's from TV broadcasts, uh, there seemed to be some sort of unofficial contract, you know, that almost Legerovic went into as kind of, hey, if you come back to the team, you don't get your number back, and you have to... We never really got the conditions of that. I mean, this wasn't like an official thing he maybe had to sign or anything, but there was sort of like, hey, you have to do X, Y, Z to come back to the team, because this was previously arranged that you weren't coming back to the team. And we also, I mean, I think it's safe to at least wonder about that as well, that if Bill Self at some point said, hey, Legerald at this point is not doing this as part of what we agreed to, then he doesn't have to keep him on the roster. I mean, it's a privilege to play for Kansas. It's a privilege to remain with this team. It, it, it helps Gerald Vick when his professional stock is at stake, all those sorts of things. And, you know, I don't know why exactly KU, if, that is, if that's the case, why they couldn't come out and say more accurately what it is. But I also think that in the process of doing this, it also might be just sort of a, I hate to say public relations, but like, it's it's Bill Self letting LeGerald Vick go without completely throwing him under the bus for future professional teams. This is an easier way to do it, to basically say that something might be happening in the background or that there are personal things. And uh, that way, if he has to deal with a future NBA interview or professional team interview, that he can answer that question however he wants to. But it kind of separates Self from that process of saying, oh, you know, this was a guy that was kicked off the team, that sort of thing. So, I, And again, I, I don't know all the details. I don't want to pretend like I do. I'm just saying from what has happened in the last week, from the hints that have been dropped, from what Bill Self has talked about, I don't think LeGerald Vick is coming back. And I don't know if there are personal issues beyond what has been said out there. I'm not sure. There may be. But this does not seem like a situation that is going to come back together again, especially with how KU has played in the last two games. And I think you agree with me on that. Yeah, I do. And I, and I felt that way to begin with, right? I felt that way on Thursday when they made the announcement that that was the end of it. And these last two games have only reinforced that belief. And I know I, I know that it will be so um, fitting if they end the season on like a six for 27 shooting night and people will say, well, they sure could have used LeGerald Vic. But again, I think it goes back to trust. And I think it goes back to um, what kind of the identity of your team is going to be. And I've asked that question all year long. I think these last two games are as close as they've come to finding an identity all season. Yeah, it's sort of strange. It's almost like the reverse of three years ago against Kentucky, where Bill Self sat down with his four stars and said, who do you want to be? Who do you want the five spot to be? And they picked Landon Lucas, and from that point on, they won like 11 games in a row. And he sat down with Devontae Graham and said, hey, you got to be a leader. I mean, it's almost like the inverse of that. It, it sounds like maybe, you know, 
maybe he listened to some people on his team or, or got to a breaking point and just decided this is what's best for the team moving forward is is if this person is no longer around. So, uh, yeah, we can move on from that point. And I wonder now, what do you think the identity is if you're speaking about KU basketball's identity and what they can be and what they have been the last couple games? Uh, what what are you taking now? What what do you think the identity is for this, for, for this team as they move forward and what should it be for them coming up here uh, over the course of the last month? Well, I think what we've said all year long, and we'd say this every year. I say it every year at least. You, If you're Kansas, you're always going to have athletes. You're always going to have length and ball handlers. So... You got to get out and run, and you got to get in transition. Ochai has been uh, a blessing in that regard, and you've got uh, one of the quickest guards in the country in Dotson. So you've got a lot of things going there. Um, that starts defensively, and I don't know if this team, while their field goal percentage defense is actually pretty respectable, I don't know if they're ever going to be a team, at least, um, that's going to create a lot of fast-break opportunities. I think Devon is really good at that. But that's just one guy. So if you're not going to get out and run and you are going to live uh, offensively in the half court, going back to what, what I said at the beginning, these last four games, seeing the volume in which they've shot with, I think that's got to continue being what you do. And quietly, they're becoming a pretty solid three-point shooting team. Even without Vic, Deidre Glosson has improved his shot. Ochai is one of the top two or three shooters on this team, shooting, what, 40% from three uh, over the last month or so. Even Quentin Grimes, he went one for eight on Monday night, and he's still shooting in the last month 37% from three. So you've got some reliable shooters now, not to mention Devon Dotson, who's kind of just been steady and not really hunting for shots out there. You've got shooters, not to mention Charlie Moore, who was supposed to be one of your best shooters. What if he starts hitting shots? What if KJ Lawson starts hitting shots? So as crazy as it sounds, Jesse, I think this may not be the main part of their identity, but a big part of their identity the rest of the way might be relying on outside shooting. <laughs> Heart attack over here. Isn't yeah, that crazy? It, yeah, no, it, it is. Yeah. Uh, it is something that... It seemed like they had to go to, and it's allowed Diedrich Lawson to take more threes, and he's been spectacular doing that over the course of the last few games. I saw an ESPN graphic at some point uh, that he was 12 for his last 24 from three, so that's something that helps KU out. And, you know, I, I will say this as well. When you shoot open threes and when you attempt those and when you make them, the the other thing that happens is teams have to come out and guard you and it opens up driving lanes and we've seen this team drive better we've seen this team get to the you know get to the lane get get in there inside and and they've been successful with two pointers throughout the course of the year but it only helps that because if you shoot a few more threes then teams have to respect both ends of that and uh, we've seen Kansas they've kind of been able to take advantage offensively now speaking to all that Defense is sort of what won in the TCU game, especially with all those turnovers late when they were able to uh, kind of lock down late defensively those final two possessions of regulation and then over time hold TCU scoreless for a while. So the defense was better than the offense then, and some of that is exactly what you talked about, Nick, which is a slightly lower than normal or slightly worse than normal shooting night. But, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of interesting. I, 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 think, I think this team, if you're looking at it, They've found something offensively with this more of a, a five-out look. Uh, they've found something offensively, and I have to add this in there too, 
playing two bigs and crashing the offensive glass better the last two games. It's been two of their best games on the offensive glass against Oklahoma State and TCU. So they seem to be finding more of what they can do well offensively. And then defensively, I think it just sort of depends on the matchup, who you want to sub in there. You want to play two bigs. You get Marcus Garrett back. Do you want like a four-guard lineup that's super swarmy, that sort of thing? You maybe play a little bit more to the matchup. But offensively, I think this team is finding a little bit more of itself and is not going to end up as the worst offense in the big – Bill Self era, which I think we were kind of fearing that it might here about a month ago when this team had little going outside of Diedrich Lawson and he was getting double teamed on almost every touch. Hey, let me ask you this, Jesse. Um, with okay, so they're going back to more big looks and you've got Mitch and KJ playing a little bit more minutes. Has it almost seemed like to you, and I know how you feel about the eye test, but has it <laughs> seemed to you as if the more that is asked of guys like Mitch? and KJ, and you can maybe even throw Charlie into this mix. Let's just refer to them as the bench mob. The <laughs> okay. more that is asked of them, does it not seem like uh, they are producing at a higher level? Absolutely. Uh, and and I've talked about this with you, I think, is just that just because Bill Self doesn't want to play certain players, it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't play. It's just that he's that they're not his first option. You know what I mean? Like um, last yeah. year, Mitch Lightfoot played a lot of minutes for Kansas. I mean, he, he was starting in the Big 12 tournament when Udoka went down, and uh, Bill Self was forced into doing that. And when he did it, you know, he trusted Mitch. And then for a long time this year, he didn't have to play Mitch, so he didn't. But you throw Mitch back in there, you see the positive things he can do. He gets a little more extended playing time, gets a little bit more confidence. I, I agree with you, and that's where this team is a little bit different. If if all these roster things would have happened the last two years, I think KU would have been in deep trouble because they were already playing seven or eight guys. They didn't have a deep rotation. They couldn't go further than that on their bench. Part of that because they just didn't have scholarship players. You know, KJ and Diedrich were sitting out. Charlie Moore was sitting out. They didn't have other guys they could go to. This year, when they've had some of this, as Bill Self calls it, stuff, if they, they've had some of this stuff happen, they have bodies, and you know people will point this out, like K.J. Lawson was a top 100 recruit, and David McCormick's a McDonald's All-American, and Mitch Lightfoot was a, a four-star, top 100 fringe sort of guy, and Charlie Moore you know, started as a freshman at Cal. So these aren't guys that have never played or can't play, or, and they're not, you know, to go back, I know, you know Connor Tian saved a team going back five or six years, but this isn't a Connor Tian where you take him as a preferred walk-on, and that's a, you know, a guy that's sort of on the roster that... Uh, that has forced into a role that maybe he shouldn't be playing at Kansas. These are all guys that were recruited to play at Kansas. So Bill Self has used more of that bench because he's had to, but you got to give credit to those guys. A guy like K.J. Lawson stepping up, hitting big baskets down the stretch, and being ready for his time and not pouting. Uh, I think it speaks to what Bill Self is talking about with the energy of this team, and those guys finding their roles, fitting into their roles, and not feeling like they have to do more than that because – they like their teammates, and they like the guys that they're playing with, and there is a kind of a general positive vibe of this team that's happened over the course of the last week. Yeah, I think, especially with Mitch, like if we want to talk about finding an identity, and if you want to talk about uh, maybe like embracing characteristics of individual players as a team, does nobody embody that more perfectly than Mitch does with what he does being a scrapper defensively like the plays he made in both games right stuffing uh, McGriff at the rim and then having that sequence against TCU defensively he's not the most physical guy he's not the most skilled guy we can say all these things but especially with the characteristics and qualities that Bill Self holds in high regard it seems like Mitch is that perfect player and it feels like we went through the same thing last year and then Silvio started to come along and then you just realize this guy is just more gifted and talented but 
Um, maybe, maybe this is the year where Mitch uh, finally gets that role and, and hangs on to it for the rest of the season. Yeah, I've compared it to the Jamari Trailer role because, you know, I was the guy talking about Jamari wasn't productive in rebounding and he didn't have any assists and he couldn't shoot and, uh, you know, he had offensive fouls, all these things, but he just fit. I mean, for Bill Self, in his mind, like, he was an energy giver. He was the guy that helped those other four players on the floor higher you know reach higher towards their ceilings and so he was on the floor with them and so maybe Mitch can provide that sort of energy role and you know I'd almost forgot when he stuffed who was it he stuffed at the rim against Oklahoma State uh when it was already a travel call but you know KU always had like the no layups no dunks rule (laughs) you know that was kind of like unspoken like you were going to foul somebody hard at the rim but they weren't going to dunk it out Fieldhouse and Mitch like reinforced it I just thought hey, there's like nobody on the roster that even remembers that rule. And here's Mitch enforcing it again. And I'm like, that's the sort of mentality that KU has had over these 14 years that maybe a little bit has been lost since this team is so inexperienced and doesn't have those people on the floor that have been with the program for a long period of time. And so uh, him kind of giving that edge back to Kansas, I think that is a positive thing. I think that has kind of helped KU out here in the last couple games to regain a little bit of swagger that has had during this 14-year streak that it might have lost somewhere along the way just because of some of these guys not understanding the sort of style that Bill Self plays and the sort of things that KU players do here at Kansas. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State. And no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at kansascity.com slash sportspass. Jesse, I don't mean to, to switch uh, subjects here, but I just want to be the first one to say it. I want to get out in front of this now. Um, I'm going to go ahead and call my shot, and I'm going to laugh when K-State not only wins the Big 12, but wins it outright, but KU is still seeded ahead of them in the NCAA tournament because of the quadrant system and because of the net. And I know they're, what, 18th in the net right now. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever for them to wind up like as a two seed in the Midwest. I tried to tell people. Uh, I tried online, and I you tried people, to tell me. I, I would listen. I, I, I had people coming around. I had people calling me names, and I said, "Hey, it wouldn't be crazy if K was a two seed in this bracket exercise that they did." And some guy said, "I want what he's smoking," and put down your pom poms. And then the tournament committee director basically said, "Hey, KU was in conversation for a two seed, and here's why they bumped got bumped down because of Udoka uh, and uh, the road record, basically." But this is how the committee works it. I mean, they come up with this pretty good metric and net to basically tell you the quality of teams, and then they only use it, or are supposed to only use it, when it comes to breaking down your opponents and looking at your resume. And when you break down your the opponents for Kansas and look at the resume, they have an amazing quadrant one and quadrant two record and so they're going to have quality wins they're going to have something the committee greatly values and at the end of the year they're going to have a better seed than they probably deserve because of all those things i just talked about so yeah KU a three seed in the first bracket release uh, and 
they're only going to have quadrant one or quadrant two opportunities from here on out. They are likely going to end up with the most quadrant one victories, which is the top victory of any school in the nation. So this is going right down the tracks of them finishing like 20th in the net and yet being a number two seed, like you said, and still getting maybe some of those location benefits that they thought they would get as coming into this year, and they might still get those. I'm talking about either playing in Tulsa or Des Moines first two rounds and then maybe Kansas City in the regional round. But uh, I'm, I'm assuming you were still a little bit surprised by that bracket release, thinking that KU was going to be down a bit further. Yeah, I, I thought they would be at the tail end of the 16 teams. But, yeah, you look at the quadrant. That was quadrant one win number nine on Monday. And I know that Oklahoma State and uh, there's well, Baylor, they're right on the lines from being a quadrant two game versus a quadrant one. So five of those last six could be quadrant ones. And if so, that would give them, that would give them, what would that be, 14. They finished last year with 15. Isn't that absurd? Well, and they have the Big 12 tournament. That's not even counting the Big 12 tournament either. Yeah, that's true, which could be however many more you think. Yeah. They could they could finish, they could go into the NCAA tournament with more than they had all of last season, in which they were tied for the most in the country. Yeah. That's and, absurd. Yeah, well, it also sort of speaks to how there are other teams out there where it's a little bit harder to make your case when you're not playing in a conference like the Big 12 that has so many teams that are up on that quality line. So it's tougher for uh, Nevada or Gonzaga to rack up quality wins, quality, you know, quadrant one wins, because you're just not facing the the volume of opponents, the volume of good opponents that Kansas is playing. So it seems like the deck is still stacked against those smaller teams, which is kind of what the what you think that maybe the NCAA would want to avoid, but at the same time, they want teams to schedule difficult, and Kansas every year schedules difficult, so they're going to continue to benefit from that as they play those wicked non-conference schedules, as we saw Kansas take on this year, and because of that, they're going to reap the rewards and get the spoils. It seems like KU is probably destined for a number two or a number three seed. Before we get out of here, Nick, I have to get your take on this because you mentioned it earlier. K-State, huge win at Texas last night. Um, the game they were an underdog. They continue to win these games that they were underdogs. They beat Baylor last week, same situation, even though Baylor was without a couple of its top players. I just wonder what you think about the Wildcats. What is your confidence level in the Wildcats going out and finishing this thing off? I mean, can they do it? Do you think they will do it? Or is this another one of those situations where a team puts itself in a great position and is destined to not finish it off when they have a chance to knock off Kansas from its conference title streak? Okay, so I think if they can get to 13-5, and five, I think they win it outright. I agree. But but if, if they lose one more game and get to 12-6, and six, not only do they split it, I think they're splitting it with more than one team. I think that, you, and I mean, I've joked all week about the whole six true champions thing. I don't really <laughs> think that six could win it. I think it would be hilarious if that did happen. But I do think they're all of those teams, Baylor, uh, Texas basically is out of it now. Um, but Baylor, Kansas, uh, those are the two ones. Iowa State, I, I keep waiting for them to just like turn it on, but it seems like every time they take a step forward, they take one back. But they're still in the mix too. They're they're like waiting. They're like fish waiting for chum, right? They're just waiting for Kansas State to slip up, and they're waiting to have an opportunity to pounce. And if they do, like I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if there are three teams that split the Big Twelve title. But it's got to get to six because I think it's just going to be too difficult. And the math, you have to do too much mental gymnastics for Kansas, Baylor, Iowa State, Texas Tech 
to get to five losses. So I think if it's six, everybody's in it. But if it's five, I think K-State closes it out by themselves. Big, huge game at home against Iowa State uh, for Kansas State coming up on Saturday. Again, just one slip up, and all of a sudden you're looking up and saying, okay, well, Kansas is down one in the loss column, and they have a return trip. Uh, K-State has to have a return trip to Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, all of a sudden, then you would be looking at that and saying, okay, it's game on. You know, those teams are basically even in the standings if you assume a KU victory at Allen Fieldhouse, which I'm also at that point, which is KU has no chance of, of sharing this conference title if they lose to K-State at Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, that's just, it's over if that happens. So I'm sort of just assuming a victory there saying if KU wants to win this thing, that's one game they have to win. But, uh, you know, credit to K-State. They have gone on the road. They have beaten these teams. They have won games that I wasn't sure that they were going to win, especially as Vegas underdogs. I just... It's so weird. I mean, I just can't. For example, I can't mark down Monday at West Virginia as a victory for K-State. I just can't do it. Like, that's that's the sort of game when this streak is on the line that a team like K-State, and whether it's been K-State in the past or anybody else, that's the game where it's like, oh, out of nowhere, West Virginia wins by nine points with no none of their good players left. You know what I mean? So it remains to be seen. There's still time for K-State to slip up, but you got to give credit to them. For, you know, nine straight wins, like one against every other team in the Big 12. They have not slipped up so far, but we've reached the point where I think if K-State doesn't win this thing outright and doesn't knock off Kansas, that we'll be talking about how this is a choke job. And uh, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I think K-State's played a little bit above its head here lately, but... Um, credit to them. If they can finish this thing off, that'll be something that will be remembered for a long, long. Well, your point, I think, is a valid one in that it doesn't. it's not really about who you're playing and it's not really about the environment. It's just the ramifications of what happens when you win versus when you don't win. And as the season gets deeper and Kansas State continues to look like they've got you know a nice, comfortable margin there at the top of the standings, the pressure's going to intensify in each subsequent game and it's up to them to answer it. So can they do it? Absolutely. But a lot of teams have been in positions to do it down the stretch and haven't been able to. So if they can, you have to give them a ton of credit, right? You'll, you'll look back at them, and I don't think anybody will say, oh, this is amongst the best teams that the Big 12 has seen during this 14-year, 15-year window. But the fact that if they are able to answer the call down the stretch, what, seven more times, then uh, oh, that'd be a pretty impressive feat. It absolutely would be, and especially how, how their season started with all the injuries and um, some head-scratching losses even with the injuries. But K-State has rallied its season. They've put themselves in position, but as we talk about, lots of Big 12 teams have put themselves in position to knock off Kansas, have not been able to finish it out when the pressure got hot. We will see how the rest of the teams do here. Any final comments, Nick? Anything else you want to talk about uh, before we get out of here on the Sports Beat KC podcast? Just let it fly from deep, right? That'll make you happy. Free the three. Free the three. Uh, well, I've mentioned mm-hmm. this before, guys. Check out Nick Schwert, uh, 1320 KLWN, uh, especially Rock Chalk Sports Talk podcast. Uh, that's what I like to download, listen, and also listen when I'm going around town. Uh, yesterday I was listening to some of your show there, Nick, and uh, good stuff on there. And uh, the only one dedicated to all KU basketball stuff or all KU athletic stuff. So if you guys can't get enough KU coverage, if you're listening to this, that's probably the reason why you can't get enough KU's, KU uh, athletics coverage. Be sure to tune in to Nick. And just on a side note, wildly entertaining stuff. Um, I've mentioned on this podcast before, but 
my brother loves tuning in and he loves the segments that you do uh, and <laughs> always references them to me, uh, including uh, the drunk radio segments that uh, where you slow down your audio and sound drunk, which is uh, always laugh-worthy. So I would highly encourage you guys to go check that out. Check out the podcast on there or follow Nick uh, online. Hey, thanks for having me, Jesse. Always had fun, man. All right, sounds good. Well, that's going to wrap up the Sports Beat KC podcast. For Nick, this is Jesse. Be sure to tune in for another episode next week.